Genesis 19. Would you stand with me as we read from the Word of God this morning? Genesis 19, beginning in verse 30. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old. There is not a man on earth to come into us there uh, after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with his father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Have you ever had one of those moments where things just got so bad or they were so messy that you just couldn't help but ask, what happened? How did we get here? How on earth have things gotten to that point? I've had several of those times in my life. As a youth pastor, I found myself staring at pictures like this, scenes like this. <laughs> we took students to Six Flags Magic Mountain, and it poured rain. And by the end of the day, this is what happened to one student. He just, he had had it, and he'd laid face down on the pavement and leaving me just to go, what on earth is going on, and how did we get to this point? Or maybe you've had that moment when you, you see a picture of one of your children when they were very, very young, and you, you look and you just think how much time has gone by, and you just go, wow, what happened? Or maybe you see a picture of yourself when you were younger, Here's another one for you just for free. And you just think, what happened? What happened here? But you know, there are, there are tragic moments in life. There are genuine tragedies when someone has gone down a path and they, they have that moment where they realize, I am trapped in an addictive behavior. Or you, your, your marriage has been going on and on and on. It seems like things have been going okay. And then you come to the realization, no, this is not going okay. How did we get here? Or maybe it's the moment, that shocking moment, when your teenage son or daughter comes to you and shares some news with you. And you just go, how did we get here? It certainly must have been that way for this man named Lot. 
man named Lot. Now Moses didn't tell us what happened after this passage we just read. There is no Genesis 19.39. We don't know exactly what kind of experience he had after this, but I imagine an old man sitting in the dirt, looking out at the entrance of his cave in shock and disbelief, repeating over and over to himself, what happened? How did we get here? And the moments we have together this morning is we reflect on this very dark and tragic passage as we consider these revolting events let's let's do our best to recognize the parallels that there may be with our own lives and let's pay close attention to the warnings we don't know all all that much about this man named Lot. We know that after his father Haran died, that he left Ur of the Chaldeans with his uncle Abraham. Abram at the time. Abram had received a call from God, and Abram, we're told, believed God and obeyed God, so he went. He didn't know where he was going, but he just went to the place that God was going to direct him. And we assume that his nephew Lot believed as well or came to believe very very soon afterwards and he goes with him and they travel on we know that lot's fortune grew just as his uncle abram's fortune grew and it grew to the point where it was so great that the two had to separate their entourages were so large and all the cattle that they owned the land just couldn't su support all of it so they had to separate and we know that when Lot was offered all the land, as far as the eye could see, choose whatever portion you want, well, he chose the garden-like area, the area that, was, that offered the most promise for material prosperity. And even though it was inhabited by these people who were exceptionally immoral, it didn't matter. He went there. And we're told that he goes at first to the general area, pitching his tent as far as Sodom in 1312. But as time goes on, we find out that not only did he live near Sodom, he actually moves in to that town. And then two weeks ago, we learned that now he's sitting in the gate of Sodom, which probably means that he had arisen to some level of prominence in that city. He was respected. He was given an important position. He was, he was successful. And in, in his mind, he must have thought, man, the blessing is being showered upon me. But as we look at it, we have to ask, at what cost? And Peter tells us that even though he was a righteous man, he believed God. But his presence in that city, it brought him just considerable anguish as he looked around and saw the things that his neighbors were doing he was distressed he was tormented in his soul we're told by the things he saw and heard and despite his distress and despite his righteousness Sodom must have must have gotten under his skin somehow. It had some type of effect on him. 
It seems that it competed for the desires of his heart, and it led him to make compromises, compromises, I imagine, just to survive. His apparent love for the city and the sacrifices that he would need to make to keep living there, they revealed themselves when men of the city, they surround his house and they demand that he release, that he bring out to them two visitors, two visitors that were staying at his place. And Lot was caught between this this place of, I I need to be a good host, but I got to appease the the lust of my neighbors. And so what does he do? He offers up his daughters. He says, don't do anything to these men. Take my, my daughters and you can do whatever you want with them. Clearly something's not right here. Something is not right. This is an unthinkable offer. One that I I can't imagine that Lot ever thought to himself he would be faced with. And yet here he was. And as the, the heat was turned all the way up, he cracks. What happened? God spared Lot and his family from the judgment that he was going to bring raining down on these terrifying little towns. Before the fire came raining down, they were led out of the city by two angels and told, flee to the, hi- to the hills. But then in verse 19 of chapter 19, we see that Lot loved the benefits of city life so much that he begs them. Don't send me to the hills. Can I please just go to this this small town nearby? Zoar, isn't it a small town? Let me go there. And the angels concede. And God spares Zoar, we're told. Apparently, Zoar is, is right in the family with Sodom and Gomorrah. And he spares that small town. We have to assume it's because of what Abraham prayed. But then here in verse 30, in our passage this morning, we find that following the destruction of Sodom, Lot doesn't stay in Zoar. He doesn't stay there. It looks like almost immediately he and his daughters leave that town and they go to live in a cave. Why would anyone do that? Because they were afraid. They were afraid. It kind of makes you wonder if the people who were living in Zoar, when Lot and his daughters came into town, they scratched their heads and said, you know what, this seems like too much of a coincidence here. Why is it that out of all the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, that all we have are Lot and his daughters? I wonder if they thought that was fishy. And I wonder if there were some sarcastic comments that were made, some semi-accusatory remarks maybe under their breaths. And I wonder if they caused Lot to think that maybe he was going to wake up one night and find his house once again surrounded by an angry mob. I wonder. One author wrote, when a man is out of the will of God, He is haunted by the boogies of his own imagination. Isn't that true? Whether the threat was real or imaginary, we don't know. Either way, it's enough for Lot to flee the town 
and take refuge in a cave. And there he's living with his two daughters, living in isolation, completely cut off from the world. And you can't help but wonder at this point, why didn't Lot go visit his uncle Abraham? Why didn't he go back to his uncle Abraham and live with him, at least for a little while? Isn't that what people do when they find themselves in a desperate situation? They find themselves destitute, no other place to go? You go there. When young people, they they strike out on their own these days, so often they find out that the world is, is a lot more expensive than they thought it was. And many of them come knocking on mom and dad's door and say, can't we just... Can we just stay with you for a little while? We just need to get back up on our feet. Would that have been such a great shame for Lot? To come knocking on the, on the tent pole of Uncle Abraham? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. And I can only speculate as to what the reason was. Was he too proud to crawl back? Maybe he didn't want to admit that it was a mistake going to Sodom. Or maybe he didn't want to face the humiliation. I struck out. I had it all. I went to the, the green land. I went to the place where we, anyone would flourish, and now I've got nothing. I've got nothing because of God's punishment that came raining down on these people that I was so associating with to, to get all my wealth. Or maybe it was that he was ashamed. Maybe he was just overwhelmed with guilt recognizing he'd made compromises in his own life. Maybe he doubted whether or not Abraham would be forgiving or have him back. Or maybe he just wasn't thinking clearly. Maybe having, having experienced such great loss. Think about it. His home, his friends, his livelihood, all the things he had amassed for himself. His wife. Maybe he was so distressed and distraught after having lost it all, he just couldn't think straight. Maybe he was completely overwhelmed by depression. It was just too much. Some type of post-traumatic stress syndrome. Whatever the reason, he finds himself in the lowest position possible. One author writes this, spiritually entombed, Lot lived a degenerated, death-like existence, sinking into ever deeper depression and corruption. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you feel like you're there now. Maybe you're plagued by guilt and shame, so haunted by something you did in the past that you feel like you barely have the strength to go on. Or maybe you're struggling with fear. There's so many things out there to be afraid of, aren't there? The, uh, illnesses, people who might want to do us harm. I woke up in the middle of the night last night thinking someone was trying to break into my house and I didn't sleep the rest of the night. Maybe investments that could possibly tank. So many things to be afraid of. I don't know what it is, but maybe it's got you in its grip and it's preventing you to living in freedom. Or maybe your issue is pride. Maybe you have relationships that are broken, family and friends that you can't even call up in the phone, let alone look in the eye anymore. And you know that this isn't the way that things should be, but your pride has got you so chained up 
that is keeping you in isolation. Maybe it's discouragement from repeated setbacks or failures. Maybe it's grief for things, for people that you've loved and lost. Whatever it may be that's forcing you into the cave, let me assure you today, there is hope. There is a way out. You don't have to go further down into darkness Everything could have turned around for Lot if only he would have turned back to God. If only he had confessed his sin, experienced forgiveness, and looked to him for strength. And you and I can do that too. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Are you weary Are the heavy things in life weighing you down? Does it feel like your life has just been sapped by the must and darkness of a cave? First step out is to drop your pride. Turn from self-reliance. Turn from doing things your own way. Confess your sin and look to the one who's completely able to lift you up. And that's Jesus. I want to invite you this morning to cast your cares on him because i'm told by a very reliable source that he cares for you and lot could have turned his eyes to the god who delivered him from this incredible judgment that he witnessed but instead he chose to dwell in a cave and in that musty dark hope deprived life extinguishing cave his daughters devise a plan for the future Isn't that often the way it works when we're in the depths? We refuse to look to God for help. We start scheming. We start thinking. We start coming up with strategies to get us up out of this place where we find ourselves. Verse 31 says, And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there's not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine. We will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. Now, this wasn't about being bored. This wasn't about trying to have a good time because there wasn't anything else to do. This was about self-preservation. This is an older sibling saying, look, sister, dad isn't going to be able to take care of us forever. There's no one around here for us to marry. We need to come up with a way to make more people really quick before dad passes on. If we don't, we're going to be in really big trouble here. In this cave, just the two of us? So they come up with this plan to get their father drunk. There's no doubt in my mind that they knew that this, this sort of thing was wrong. If it wasn't wrong, then why did they need to get their father drunk? At the very least, it's safe to say, isn't it, that Lot knew it was wrong, that he would have objected. But you know, if you do a little bit of research, if you look at things like the Code of Hammurabi, or you look at Hittite law, you'll find that incest was absolutely forbidden. And even as bad as things were in Sodom and Gomorrah, I I think... I think that they would have found this type of behavior reprehensible. 
there's now no doubt in my mind that Lot's daughters knew that this plan was sinful, that it was shameful, and yet they press onward. They're undeterred. First the oldest daughter, then the younger daughter. I guess living in a cave wasn't as low as you could go. This is now an absolute dumpster fire. This is, this is total wipeout. Some of you may have been wondering what the, the background image is to our, our title screen here. This is a, it's an aerial photo of the Trinity test site in New Mexico. At 5.29 a.m. on June 16th, 1945, that's where the first nuclear device of the Manhattan Project was detonated. It was very effective. Total annihilation. This is destruction on an unprecedented scale. That's kind of what we see going on here. The devastation and depth of depravity that we read of, it's just mind-blowing. In fact, it, we, most of us in this room would probably be very happy if we just passed over this one. And after this, we don't hear anything more about Lot in Genesis. Nothing more. Can you imagine if this was the end of your biography? It's awful. And these were righteous people that God delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah. How on earth could this have happened? How did we get here? When you think about it, it's actually quite obvious how we got here. See, Lot may have been a man who believed and trusted God, but the choices that he had made in life and the compromises that he would make to, to, to gain what he loved, and the environment uh, to which he would allow his family to be exposed, it had a devastating impact on his daughters. It, it, in a way, it, it contaminated their souls. By the choices Lot made in life, he, he taught his daughters that what you desire is more important than what you believe. The Lot allowed selfish desires of his own heart to contaminate the souls of his daughters. His love for material possessions and success, that would have been uh, clearly observed by his family. You know, his soul may have been tormented by the immorality of the people of Sodom, but time and time again, they would have seen Dad biting his tongue maybe even giving a half smile of approval or, or completely overlooking and ignoring the horrific things that the Sodomites said and did. How, how else can you flourish in a society like that? And Lot may not have participated in, in, in all the social and sexual misdeeds himself. He may not have approved of them, but I think he was very careful not to show any type of objection to them. Why do I think that? I think that because of how his neighbors reacted earlier in this chapter. Remember when he objects to their behavior in verse 7? 
their request, what they're asking him to do to bring out these two men. It says this in verse 7, Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door behind him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. And what's their response? It says this in verse 9, but they said, stand back. They said, this fellow came to sojourn and he has become the judge? Now we will deal worse with you than with them. And they pressed hard against the man Lot. They're they're shocked. They're completely taken aback, completely offended that Lot, Lot, that he's going to suggest that we are wicked? How dare he say anything against us? We've been patient with this guy. We invited him into our town. Look, he's flourished here. He's been successful. Look how we've helped him become a success in life. And now he is going to sit behind the judge's bench and cast judgment on us? I don't think so. They're shocked. These people are completely shocked because I think they've never heard him talk like this before. What do you mean you object all of a sudden? I think for the sake of being successful, Lot chose to keep his faith undercover. They had no idea. And as he did that, he taught his daughters that being successful, that making a living, maybe even just surviving, that's more important than living for God and trusting that he will provide. Do you see what he did? In his heart, he may have believed God, but by his actions, he showed his daughters that the way of Sodom, the way of the world, is the only way, the only real way to make it in life. What he desired was more important than what he believed. So they watched. They watched as dad was doing everything he could to get along with these wicked people. And they also watched their neighbors get drunk do violent things to each other, sexually misuse and abuse one another. And as they watched them cheat and steal and lie and scheme, they were getting a first-class education. Their souls were were being contaminated. On their hearts was being written that no price is too great to pay to get what you want or what you think that you need. And if that's the case, is it any surprise to us that when they weren't sure how they're going to survive, Dad brought us to this cave. Are you kidding me? Is it any surprise that they didn't even have second thoughts about doing whatever it was going to take? What are our life choices teaching others around us. Are you and I teaching them teaching them to trust God? And even when times get tough to rely on him, to drop to our knees in prayer and reliance on him, or are we teaching them that satisfying our desires or getting what we need is more important than practicing what we believe. But you might say, okay, I understand that, but how on earth could they have done such a terrible thing to their own father? How could they deceive him by getting him drunk? How could they bring such shame on him? How could they they take advantage of their own father? This is how. This is how. 
Not only did Lot show his daughters that what you desire is more important than what you believe, Lot showed his daughters, taught his daughters that the end justifies the means. He taught his daughters that it's okay to break sexual rules or to deceive or to betray or to abuse others to get what you want or what you think you need. How do I know that? Because I read it. We read it together. The men of Sodom, they're at his door. They are mad. They are demanding that he send out these two male visitors. What does Lot do? Oh, yes, he says that they're, please, please, don't do this wicked thing. But what else does he do? Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do not do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. I don't think Lot's daughters ever forgot that. When the moment was tense, when lust-filled maniacs were pounding on the door, Lot chose to appease them by violating his most sacred duty as a father. He put his own daughters at risk. No, actually, no, he did more than that. He willingly offers his daughters up as a peace offering to these disgusting neighbors that he had worked so long and hard to befriend. Apparently, there was no sacrifice, no compromise, no level of shame that was too great. The end justifies the means, after all. And when his daughters hear him make that offer, there's no doubt in my mind that whatever love, whatever respect, whatever regard they had for dad, well, it went out the door with it. Their honor apparently meant nothing to him, so why should his honor mean anything to them? Their souls had been contaminated. One pastor writes, Lot had effectively allowed Sodom into his daughter's souls. He may have been distressed by certain things that went on in that city, but his life choices were fundamentally built upon the same corrupt thinking as his neighbors. And the same spirit was passed down to his daughters. And just like Noah and his family carried sin as they were delivered by God through the flood, Lot and his family would carry the spirit of Sodom through the flames and into the future. It was alive and well in his daughters. It would be alive and well in their sons as well. What are you and I passing down to those closest to us? Are we saying one thing by going to church and then teaching something entirely different by the way we live our lives? Are we telling people that desire, what you want in life, following your dreams, is far more important than what you believe? Or maybe we're saying, you know what, as long as you, you get this result, it really doesn't matter how you get there, because the end justifies the means. How do we get here? This isn't a question that is often asked when things are going well, is it? It's a question that we find ourselves asking when we experience great loss or heartache or, or suffering. And really, the question we should be asking right now is, is not how did we get here, though I, I, I feel for those of us who 
are asking that question and thinking of certain things in their life right now. But for the rest of us, we need to be thinking, and for, as we look at the future, we need to be asking, how can we keep from getting there? Because, you see, we don't want to ever get there. If there's anything, anything at all that can be done to avoid getting there, we want to do that, right? Let me suggest just a couple things. First of all, we got to recognize the contamination, it begins on the inside. It begins on the inside. We need to rec- recognize that there's contamination within. It's so easy to look around and blame all those other contaminating influences outside of ourselves. But we need to acknowledge that none of those influences, they wouldn't have any effect on us were it not for the contamination that already exists in our own hearts. I mean, you set a plate of donuts in front of me, and they have absolutely no power if it weren't for the desire that's already inside of me for delicious, delicious junk food. No power at all. The Bible tells us that the human heart is deceitful. It's desperately sick. Because humanity has chosen a path of rebellion against God, every one of us is born with these hearts that have desires that are against, they're contrary, they're in rebellion against the will of God. We're born contaminated. We're bent on going our own way. We're enslaved to going our own way, the Bible tells us. And since God's way is the only right way, well then logic says our way is the wrong way. The first step toward prevention is coming to a humble recognition of that. That sin exists within us. That the the pull, the desire that's built into our hearts, it's not a good one. We need to recognize that it exists. And we're living in a society that is more and more reluctant to say anything about it or recognize anything about it. But it is alive and well. We need to recognize it and we got to confess it. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what we need, don't we? We need a cleansing. We need to experience both his forgiveness and his cleansing and his transforming power that enables us to freely turn around and choose his way. Have you taken that step? If you haven't, this right now is the moment for you to do that and say, Lord, yeah, there is something wrong inside and I need you to wash me clean. I know that Jesus Christ took my sin upon him at the cross and there he paid for it, that I might be forgiven, that I might be washed clean. It's about trust. It's about saying, Lord, here I am. Wash me first step recognize that contamination it begins on the inside second step is this reject replace and rethink that's the old slogan of a skateboard company that i owned with my brother years ago we wanted people to reject the old way of doing things the old habits the old hobbies the old heroes reject those things replace them with our skateboards that's what you need to do And then we want you to rethink, we want you to get on board with the reality that Burke Longboards were far better. In fact, we're the best skateboard company that is out there. Reject, replace, rethink. And it all sounds very self-serving, and it is. 
And yet, I, as I came up with that slogan, I kept thinking about Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your, your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the Christian life right here. That after Christ has come in and he's washed you clean, we got to reject the old ways. we got to replace them. we got to rethink. we got to reject the life that we once knew, the life that was motivated by selfishness and self-indulgence and rebellion against God. Reject that old, contaminated, corrupt way of doing things. Don't be conformed to this world any longer. Don't do what Lot did. Don't buy into all that pursuit of materialism or pleasure-seeking or entertainment. Don't let your life be characterized by immodesty or by doing anything and everything you can do to fit in with the crowd. Reject it. Replace it. In fact, replace worshiping yourself for worship of God. We need to put God back up on the throne of our lives. This world is his world. We are his creation. He needs to be our Lord and our master. Unlike Lot, we need to to recognize that God is our provider. That's where success is going to come from. That's where provision is going to come from. It's all from him, the giver of all good gifts. We need to look to him. He's the only one that can truly bring success. So let's replace our our pandering to people around us and start living to please God and God alone. And we need to rethink. Got to rethink. We need to have our minds recalibrated that we might live lives that honor God and bring good to others. We need to be continually washing our minds with God's word that we might be transformed and able to see things the way that God sees them. How can we keep from getting there? Some of you know that uh, my family and I recently uh, bought a house. Actually, we didn't buy a house. We bought a a backyard. The house is really just... uh, just kind of an afterthought. The, the backyard is incredible. It's, it's enormous. And in this backyard, there are two ponds. There is a koi pond, which is about the size of a small swimming pool. And then on the other side of the yard, there is what, what we're told is called a swim pond. In the middle, there's this mountainous configuration where there are three waterfalls coming down. It's, it sounds extravagant. It sounds a little ridiculous, but it is. And uh, we were so excited, and, and my daughter Quincy was so excited when we, when we got this place and wanted to swim in the swim pond and all that. And then we discovered that there are, there are creatures swimming around in the swim pond. There are four turtles, turtles about this big, swimming around in that swim pond. And there's, there's some little fish in there, too. But just about every day, Quincy goes out there with the, with the skimmer, and she scoops these turtles up. She's not afraid of these guys. It, it, sometimes she just reaches down and grabs them, and she takes them and puts them over in the koi pond so that she can swim in the swim pond without worrying about these turtles coming to bite her toes or anything like that. And it never 
fails, it never fails that after a little while, these little turtles over in the koi pond, you see this little green head poke up out of the water, and they look. They look around, and they make sure no one's looking, and then slowly, they crawl up out of the koi pond, and they start making their way back to the swim pond. And then if you go out there and catch them in the act, all you see is like this flash of green, and you hear this tiny sonic boom, and they're back. They're back in the swim pond. I don't know why they don't like the koi pond. I assume it's because there's all these big fish swimming around, and it drives them nuts, and they don't like it, and they want to be where it's peaceful and quiet. I don't know the reason, but this is how it is. They avoid that koi pond at all costs. And just like those turtles, there are a lot of things that we avoid in life. Some of us go to great lengths to avoid getting sick. Others avoid getting, uh, eating processed foods or paying too much for gas or having difficult conversations with others. We avoid that stuff. We don't want that stuff. My question is this. If we're willing to go to such great lengths to protect ourselves from the things that we don't like or believe may be harmful to our bodies or our bank accounts, then why don't we do the same for our souls? Genesis 19, 30 to 38, it's a tragedy. There's no way around it. The spirit of Sodom is reborn in the lives of Lot and his daughters because even though he was distressed by the ways of his neighbors, his life was shaped by their ways. What he desired, it was more important than what he believed. And he came to live as if the end justified the means. Let's not go down that road. Let's recognize and allow Christ to deal with the contamination that we already have on the inside of us. And let's reject and replace and rethink. Let's put Christ back up on the throne of our lives and have our minds transformed by his word that we might live life his way. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. It is hard to thank you for a passage like this because it is just one that I don't like reading, don't like talking about, and yet, Lord, it is crucial for us. It's crucial. We need to see the warning signs. Lord, we don't want to be people who claim to have faith in you and then have our hearts swayed by worthless things around us to say we trust you and then to live to live as if we have no trust in you at all lord prevent us from going down a path like lot went down and lord there are some here in this room who even as i say that they may be thinking i've already gone down that path i've already asked how how did we get here Lord, thank you for the forgiveness that we can have in you. I don't know what happened after these events in that cave, Lord, but I pray that Lot cried out to you, confessed to you his sin, and said, Lord, save me. You are my one and only hope. And for those of us, Lord, this morning who are at that place, Lord, I pray that we would cry. You are our one and only hope. We love you. We need you. Thank you, for, thank you for saving us, for allowing us to be forgiven and washed clean because of Jesus Christ. And thank you, Lord, for your word 
that enables us to have our minds washed for spirit that does a transforming work, changing us from the inside out. Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you for your provision. Lord, change us, make us into the people that you want us to be, because even those of us who have walked down this road for a long, long time still have more transformation that needs to take place. We love you. We thank you and pray these things in Christ's name.